Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 47 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled The Church of Ephesus, Part 2. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Amen and amen. Isn't that good? So as we look into uh, the scriptures here, as I've uh, got a lot of territory I'd like to cover, and we're looking in the book of Revelation, we'll be in chapter 2. We'll reference it some. We'll reference uh, Acts chapter 19. We're talking about the church at Ephesus. We'll finish it up, perhaps begin the next church. And the reason we're looking at the seven churches in Revelation is so in these incredible times that we're living, much uh, sin around us, and all that's going on, it can be very discouraging. As we look at the uh, seven churches, you're going to be encouraged to find out as we're not as bad as some of, that, uh, some of those cities uh, here, there in, uh, 2,000 years ago. And so there has, sin is abounding now for certain. We're, we're a little different, as I spoke last week. The United States is the church in the United States is with the backdrop of a Christian foundation. This... Uh, country we believe was birthed out of the Holy Spirit of God. There's not that the birthing has been perfect. It's been imperfect at best. And, uh, but yet the truth has prevailed even with all of our imperfections. And it's to that truth that we give great tribute and honor. And we're so glad we're a part of that great truth. And the proof that the truth is true is that it prevailed. Amen. Amen. So that's something that's exciting to learn as a prophetic people to store into our memory that the truth prevails is a spiritual truth. And the Word of God is still here because the truth prevails. You've got a copy in front of you because the truth prevails. And you can say, well, look back, back through the the times and see how God preserved His Word. Some of it seemed a little unorthodox to me, but it just so happens I'm not God and you aren't either. And God's uh, doing this as He sees fit and is asking us to join with Him. Now we're going to look again at the church at Ephesus here. This church is the first church, the seven churches. Why do we look at it? But it's because these seven churches are an example of the churches on the planet today. And you can see what they came in contact with, their challenges. And I want us to understand it uh, with as much depth as possible. Now, this is built around the second coming of Christ, so uh, as it is in the days of Noah. And as we're looking into chapter 2, uh, the phrase that we're looking at is the things which are. In chapter 1, it gives us three divisions, past, present, future. We're now looking at present, the things which are. It's the message to Ephesus, the church at the end of the apostolic age, we call it. Uh, now, what the problem with this first church is they left their first love. Write that down in your memory. Store it. They left their first love. This is what's wrong with the church. This is what happened to the church. This is not what is right with the church. There was a lot right with the church's uh, Ephesus. But the reason the apostle John... Jesus gave it to an angel to give to John to write it down 
was because he wanted them to grow to have attention at their failure, at their losing their first love. Now here's something we want to look at. They did everything right except they fell away from their first love. Now here's why. When you fall away from your first love, when you fall out of love, you start falling away from truth. Okay? When you, when you start falling out of love, you start falling away from truth. I'll give you an easy example. There's some people that have fallen out of love with our country. So therefore, they fall away from the truth of our country. Now, that's true. Now, if, you've, if that one bit you just a little bit, it's supposed to. You should love the United States because it has a lot of great things that it's done. And not only that, the Holy Spirit of God, I believe, birthed it as a country. It's in an in-between time to distribute the gospel, the gospel of the grace of God to the earth. And we did pretty good till we started falling out of love with God. Now, let's look at this right quickly. Ephesus was the largest city in Asia Minor in the first century. Today we see it as Turkey. A center for ancient, occultic, and pagan rituals. Now, I went over some of those in Ephesus last week. The Temple of Art Artemis, also known as the Temple of Diana, which was the Greek term, was a Greek temple dedicated to an ancient local form of the goddess Artemis. Now understand, all of these cities back in, in these days, they all kind of had their own god or goddess. And this god or goddess was acceptable to Rome because they believed the goddess Roma was over all the gods. So therefore, each city had their own god or goddess that they were known for. So if you wanted to go to this goddess of fertility or this one for prosperity, what, then you would make your pilgrimage to a lot of these different cities where all of these um, pagan gods were, which uh, if you want to go back on Trevor's teaching, uh, I don't know how the, that particular teaching is taught, he taught, but on the gods and how that the, you don't know the name of it, Perhaps we'll come up with it next week maybe, but very interesting on how these gods, when we think of gods and we have all of these statues and idols, we think of gods as something that's not real, that is make-believe. And Trevor brought a teaching and brought that to light that no, they are real and, and they're not make-believe. They were real gods with a little G. They're not our God, Jehovah, but there are small gods or little gods, probably the fallen angels that were dispersed. Now, as we got into the Patmos vision here in Revelation chapter 2, it starts off with this angel, the church of Ephesus, and he's writing. We see the seven stars, and we went over the seven golden candlesticks. And we went on into uh, this chapter of, about uh, Ephesus. He says, I know your work, your labor, your patience. You don't bear those that are evil, and uh, thou hast tried them. Uh, Ephesus was one of the largest and the most important cities in the world. You had Ephesus, you had Smyrna, and you had Pergamos. Didn't y'all go to those? Y'all went to all seven churches uh, in your last trip or the one before? That's when you went to Turkey, yes. Y'all visited all seven of these churches and prayed there. So you had Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos were kind of, Three cities, uh, Smyrna is the second one, 
It's amazing to me how the apostles went to these big cities. Now, I told you last week I don't particularly like big cities, but they, they went to the big cities, and the reason is they didn't have the Internet. But they, but, but, they, but they had something bigger, and it was all these roads coming into these major cities, and so they'd set up shop and preach and teach. People would come from other cities to hear them, and, they would, and then, then the message and the gospel would go out after they went into these uh, major cities. So Ephesus is one of the large and important of these cities. It was for this reason Paul settled here during the period of his missionary journey. So he kind of used Ephesus as his apostolic center, if you will, to go out into a lot of his sect uh, third missionary journeys. Now, according to the book of Acts, Paul would first speak in the Jewish synagogues. Now, we've all read that. Paul would go to the synagogue first, and then he would speak to the to the Gentiles and the Greeks and he would, but he'd always go to the Jewish synagogues first until Acts 28, 28, which covered about a period of close to 30 years that Paul went to the Jewish synagogues first. And the reason was God was still offering it. So the deal was, and we got to remember this as, as Gentile Christians, Paul went to the Jews first. Then he went to the Gentiles. We tend psychologically for some reason to think that he went to the Jews first so they didn't believe him, so they went to the Gentiles. That's not the way it worked. He went to the Jews first and there were some conversions. They believed the gospel, that Jesus was the Christ. Then usually they kind of got somewhat run out of the synagogue, if you will, and so they'd go down the street and start, and start a, an assembly. But of the early churches the foundational believers were usually Jews, and they were converted Jews. So keep, keep that one in mind. Now, we read that last week. I'm not going over it again, but if you want to start there in Acts 19, 1 through 7, that's where Paul went to the Jewish synagogues first. There's an example there of what had happened. Then Paul's forced to leave the synagogue. He starts a new work uh, next door. That's in Acts 19, uh, 8 through 10. There you can see that new work that he started. Paul did many signs and wonders there among the Greeks. And this is important to the Gentile church or, or the church of today. And a lot of people said, well, after the apostles, that then the, the new churches, in other words, you, you got the, the Jewish nation, then you got the Christian church. So you got Judaism and Christianity. So many say that, well, when you went from Judaism to Christianity, that the signs and wonders ceased. The only problem with that, no, it, the angel didn't tell Paul. He, he didn't have that, that uh, memo. So he did many signs and wonders among the Greeks, and, and, uh, and that's what got him into a lot of his problems, and especially in Ephesus. Uh, because he was preaching the gospel. They'd set up shop, made a new congregation. Uh, the, the people responses was good, but it really picked up when he did signs and wonders. All of a sudden, Paul was famous on the street, and the things picked up. I love to say, uh, I love for people to be drawn here by the power of the Holy Spirit, but in all honesty, uh, God will draw people out of curiosity because they heard their signs and wonders. It's just the way it is. You maybe don't like that method, but that's one God used. And he used it with Paul. So today, um, we perhaps are not walking in a lot of signs and wonders, but we have to continually ask ourselves, why not? 
Now, and I don't like to fake it till we make it, but I do ask until I get. Are you with me? So we need to continually be asking for the signs and the wonders and the movement of the Holy Spirit. Salvation is a sign and it's a wonder. Healing is. And uh, as a church, I believe, and especially in the last day church, I believe that it's highly possible for us to, to walk in more signs and wonders. And number one, I would love for people to be drawn here because the Holy Spirit draws them here. And, 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 but if, if God's got to use a newspaper, say, hey, I heard God was moving some people, got healed down there, just so be it. And let's, let's just do it ever how it got, because humans are to different places to receive communication is, is what the thing is. So, so Paul did all of these signs and wonders. That's in Acts 19, 11 through 22, if you'd like to review that again. Acts 19, 11 through 22. There, now, there was an internal flame in the civic area of, of Artemis. So I, um, we did those previous scripture, and we got to here last week. There was this eternal flame there in Ephesus. They had this shrine, if you will, to Artemis. Artemis was, or Diana, if you were a Greek, same goddess. They had this eternal flame that they created that would be burning, they thought, forever uh, to this pagan uh, god. Now, what happened there, the priest would be facing death if the flame ever went out. That's, that's kind of, I bet the line wasn't very long signing up for that job. Uh, but nonetheless, that was the job. They had to keep it going, and they said, and so I've read in historical documents, that if the flame got down too low to what the high priest thought it should be, then you were the next firewood on the fire. That's, that's the way they did it. So that, that would... That would uh, Definitely keep the converts close to their task. Now, there were hundreds of priests, musicians, and magicians. There, were a whole, there was a whole month given over to the worship of Artemis in pagan activities. It was against the culture that Paul would preach his message. They had a whole month set aside. To, and so pil, people would make pilgrimages all over uh, Asia there, what we even call parts of Turkey, Today that they came, they, they would come in to worship at this temple, this pagan temple. And now Paul used the temple of Artemis to his advantage and preached to the pilgrims of different cultures that came there from all over the empire. So Paul took advantage of the false gods. He went to the crowds of the false gods, did signs and wonders. Now, you need to watch your lip on people who go into pubs, people go into all of these places uh, that we wouldn't consider places to go and preach the gospel. I would call one of those an NFL football game, but y'all probably wouldn't. Now, I don't like football. That's all that means. That's all it means. I don't like football. So here is the side of this eternal flame. They're in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus, it's amazing how much of Ephesus is still there because Ephesus was kind of abandoned. It's not like Smyrna, uh, the city of Ismar, I think it is. Is that right? Ismar? Izmir is now where uh, Smyrna used to be. But I think that was just changed in the 30s perhaps. I think, it, I think it was Smyrna to like the 30s and they changed it to Izmir. And so anyway, so, but it's not much of 
Smyrna's not much over there. Ephesus is different. It's just ruins everywhere. And the reason being was the city was abandoned because the, the port, it was a port city, and the port filled up with sediment. Boats couldn't come in anymore. So the, the city was kind of abandoned. But nonetheless, this is the eternal flame that was there. There We get into this uproar of the silversmiths, and you can turn, if you would, quickly to, to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, and we will look at it here. In Acts chapter 19, we'll start probably at uh, 1923, and we're going to read through 23 through 27. And it says, And the same time there arose no small stir about that way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver and shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation. So he called together the crowd and said, Sirs, you know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, you see and hear uh, that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia. This Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they uh, be no gods which are made with hands. So that not only this, our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, uh, whom all Asia in the world worship. So here we see Demetrius calls together uh, all of the like uh, silversmith. Now Artemis was the center attraction of Ephesus, this big, this seventh wonder of the world, they call it. And so the all of Ephesus... Ephesus was built around this shrine. And people all over Asia would come there, which brought in a lot of money, a lot of trade. And why did they come? It was because of uh, Artemis or, or this goddess Diana. People would come. And not only that, there was even banking there uh, at that uh, shrine. And so the people would come there. They would all take them back a little uh figurine, if you will, of this goddess, uh, Diana, which I showed you a lot of that last week. Now, there is a, a rendering of what was left of what this... Uh, now, here, here's what the statue is. The statue is in that building to the left because that's an artist's rendering on the left. The statue on the right is real. You still have it, nine feet tall. It was set into that building, uh, which is a rendering. There's some of it still left, but the thing was huge. The building was just, how in the world? Somebody tell me how they built that thing. The thing was huge. And, and, you, and you got to understand, Ephesus was a city that great philosophers came to. You see, they didn't have the iPhone internet, so they had to actually use their brain. Right. And so they used their brain. But there was incredible, it was amazing how, how smart the people were then also. How could you build that and not be smart with, without the modern you know, technology and conveniences we have today? So do not underestimate their intellect. They were tremendously smart. They, they had great, uh, uh, all of your philosophers, and I think, uh, I think Homer, though, was, I think Homer was Smyrna. I think it was kind of known for Homer. It was Smyrna, which would be the next uh, church. But anyway, the great Greek, a lot of the philosophers would come to Ephesus there to great, at the theater, but they came also to the great library there. 
And what happened was you had all these great thinkers of philosophy and of all the arts. I mean, look at the statues that they created and, and, and they made. All these great thinkers uh, came together and they would debate. It was considered uh, uh, kind of like, a, I guess, a, a sword fight with words, which the only thing that could get hurt would be your ego. But nonetheless, they had the, there was a great art of debate and to see if your truth would outlast my truth, and, uh, and, and which was, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And it used to be how our United States government worked until we went stupid and, and, and started canceling those that were in disagreement with us. But you got to understand there's a safety in allowing freedom of speech. There's a safety in it. Is And I believe personally that the Word of God will win over any other supposable truth that's out there. I think the Word of God can be debated. I think it will stand. It's nothing to be ashamed of. I do not have to not allow you to be homosexual because the Word of God will trump your f debate. And I believe that. So therefore, in defending the Word of God, you've got to allow an arena of debate that it can be tested. Did you not know that the Word of God is being tested in your life? It's tested. It's supposed to be tested. That's what makes it strong. That's what makes it true. It's tested. You never do away on this earth with this arena of testing truth. It's called free speech. It needs to be tested. And trust me, it will be tested in your life if you are a believer. You didn't have any test till you came to Christ. Now, come on. You know that's the truth. You had it easier when you was lost, as far as this world's concerned. You came to Christ, then the testing begins of the Word of God in your life against your own selfishness. So understand the setting. Understand what's happening here. People were coming to see this great goddess, if you will. And this, the whole city of Ephesus was built around that temple site. And so everything about it was about this temple. Now, the message of the gospel was bringing pressure upon the whole city. It is evident that there has been a great awakening happening in Ephesus. Now, I just read you the scripture where Demetrius got concerned. He called together all the silversmiths. And listen, the reason he called them together is because they were losing sales. Here's the Apostle Paul goes into Ephesus, this huge city that runs off of a pagan god. That brings in all the money, all the culture. The Apostle Paul, he runs there. He goes to the synagogue first. There was one there. He converts a few Jews he gets run out of the synagogue. He sets up a new house. And out of that house, he's on the street, and he starts preaching the gospel. So it's Paul and a few Jewish converts, by the way. The first, don't forget, the first converts were Jews of the early churches. So these Jewish converts and Paul went out to the streets. They started converting people. Then they even did it with signs and wonders, and they really started getting a crowd. Even to the point that all these great silversmiths called together 
a town hall meeting, we're going to have to do something with Paul. Not only the silversmiths were there, but a lot of those that were in banking and all that, they're saying there's not as many people coming to the temple that there used to be. Now, you can be worried about the United States all you want to. If we had the goods in the house of God, can somebody hear me? If we really had the goods, we can change America. But you've got to have the goods. Don't blame the Bible for us not having the goods. We've got to take some responsibility here. We've got to see where we are, make an observation, where are we, compare ourselves to this book, and say, are we there yet? Don't think we're there yet. But we're headed there. We'll see how many of you's left when we get there. Right? We're going there lest we die. We're going there. That's right. Somebody say amen. That's where we're going. Now, Paul had preached that they were worshiping idols and false gods. The whole city's welfare depended on the worship of the goddess of Diana. Paul had such success that the number of people going to the temple was starting to decrease. So many in the city started blaming Paul. Well, I would to God we could be guilty of that. Huh? He was, he was, he was, he was quite rowdy in the kingdom of God. He was getting the job done. Now, let's move on quickly. All of a sudden, Demetrius goes out there, and Demetrius calls all the silversmiths together. They said, hey, we got a problem here, and there's Paul. They all got right upset. Now, Paul was actually having this conversation right down from the big theater. It was happening in the street there, in the, in the building that he had there, but right down from that big theater. Now, let's look at it in Acts 19 and verse 28. And when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of Ephesus. So the silversmiths and all that, and they cried. I said, Well, great, great, great is Diana of Ephesus. And the whole city was filled with confusion. And having caught Gaius and uh, whatever his name is there, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord to the theater. So they all came there. Do you see that road right there? They were somewhere up and down that road having this argument. I mean, uh, Demetrius called this meeting out there, and they had this, say, we've got to do something with Paul. They all ran to that theater down there on the end. That's where they went. So they had this argument. They run to the theater, and the reason is the crowd got so big everybody couldn't hear. So they always knew if you had a big crowd, you got to go to the theater because it's got the acoustics where everybody could hear. And that theater held 25,000 people. 25,000 people. There's a closer view. Paul did some of his debating in that theater. But Demetrius took the crowd to that theater. He, sat, he stood right there on, those, on that platform there. And he spoke to the whole wholeness of the city because the whole city, it says, was in confusion. So they know that the theater was full plus more. So they went there and the topic was Paul and these new converts. That was the topic. And the, the accusation was, he's ruining our city. 
because it's built around this God. Can y'all believe that the gospel made that big of a racket? Huh? We're sitting here on the side of the road, and I'm not even sure if people out there going up and down 64 knows we're a church. Somebody come to us a while back and said, we need to put a steeple on just so they know. <laughs> they thought that was a good thing. It broke my heart. <laughs> now, so there, so there they were. Demetrius is shouting this out. The apostle Paul and, and the disciples of Paul were outside, and Paul says, I'm going to go in there. And these disciples said, Paul don't think that's a good idea. Now what? That's what happened. So this is, this is where the riot, the biblical riot was at Ephesus. Seeing the power of Paul's miracles caused a number of people to bring their writings and books to be burned. Isn't that amazing? You want to know why they went in there? It's because these books and all these things, that all, all these pagan rituals that's going on. Listen, it wasn't just the pagan god of Artemis or Diana. It was everything that went with it. Occultism, pagan worship. They brought statues, little figurines, or their other gods from other cities. They were having a conference of the gods. That's right. If you can hear that, taking consideration Trevor's teaching, they were having a conference of the gods, and the apostle Paul broke it up with a few signs and wonders in the gospel. I think what we got is a powerful gospel. I think it's got more power than we think. Are we shooting it? Are we using it? It's my question. Now, so here's what happened. In Acts 19, it says, And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also which used uh, curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver, which is equivalent Today, a 5.5 million, pretty good pricey bonfire. So mighty grew the word of God and prevailed. Paul, and as far as we know, 11 or 12 converts. But the number grew quickly. It grew so quickly that, that Paul's little house wouldn't hold everybody. They had to do it in the streets. I, I wonder if they didn't go to the theater. I don't think there's any record, but surely he had to. There's, there's the theater. The theater could hold 25,000 people. Paul wanted to talk to the crowd, but his disciples discouraged him from doing so. When they saw Alexander was a Jew, what they did was they sent in, we'll read it here in a second. They sent in Alexander. Turn, look, look, look at it right quickly in verse, uh, verse 31 of 19. Verse 31 of Acts 19. And certain of chief of Asia which were his friends sent unto him, desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theater. So Paul wanted to go into the theater, address his crowd of Demetrius. They advised him not to. Verse 32, Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and the more part knew not where, why they had even come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude. So Alexander was one of the believers in here. The Jews putting him forward, and Alexander beckoned with a hand, and would have made his defense unto the people. But, now watch this, when they knew he was a Jew, all with one voice about the space of two hours cried out, Great is Diana of Ephesus. So, when they saw he was a Jew, they just started chanting for two hours. 
Diana being this god of Ephesus. Two straight hours. And the reason they put two hours down there is because it was significant. That's a long time to, to, to chant this that, about this goddess. Now, you got to understand, you had, they put in Alexander a Jew. Well, at this time in Ephesus, you had Jews and you had Jewish believers, converts. But the leaders of Ephesus did not make a distinction between Judaism and Christianity. Of course, now the truth is, I'm not so sure the early church did. We hadn't done the Antioch, we, you know, we've done the Antioch thing, but still, there wasn't any distinction because Paul went to the synagogues, he converted Jews, they came out of there and started their assemblies. Well, in Ephesus, at this point in time, they just sent a Jew in there. Well, they, the powers that be, which they were under Roman rule, the powers that be didn't make a distinction between the Jews and Jewish Christians. So I want you to, this is very important as we get into Smyrna, the next church. That's the reason I say it's important to understand that the first believers in our early churches were Jews because they did not make a distinction between a Jew, Judaism, and Christianity. They just was all under, this is Judaism. So we look at it there, verse 33, and they drew Alexander out of the multitude. The Jews put him forward. The Alexander beckoned with a hand. They would make made a defense unto the people, but when they knew that he was a Jew with all of one voice, about the space of two hours they cried out, Diana, for 35. And when the town's clerk had appeased the people, he said, You men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not how the city of this Ephesians is a worshiper of the great goddess Diana and the things of the image that fell down from Jupiter? Seeing then that these things cannot be spoken against, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. What he was saying here, we're... This city is the city of, of Diana. That's what this city is. Y'all got, y'all, this town clerk came in and tried to settle down 25,000 people. And he said, listen, settle down, settle down. We're Ephesus. Now what's happening, you just need to settle, just cool, cool your wagons. You need to settle down. We're Ephesus. This is, we're the city of this goddess. Then he goes on to say, watch this. Verse 37, for you have brought hither these men, which are neither robbers. He said, these men aren't robbers uh, uh, of churches, nor blasphemers of your goddess. Wherefore, if Demetrius and the craftsmen which are with him have a matter against this man, the law open, and there are deputies, then, uh, let them in, uh, and plead one another. But if you inquire anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. For we are in danger. Now watch this. We are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar. There being no cause whereby we may give an account of this concourse. Talking about back to Rome. And when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. What he was saying is, hey, we got law and order in Ephesus. We're not a bunch of rogues. He said, settle your jets, calm down. Silversmiths, if y'all got a problem with Paul, go to court. Let the law of the land handle it. We're not going to handle it in this theater where we do debate in theater. We're not going to do it here. Now, the Apostle Paul did something. Look at the next, in chapter 22 and verse 1. And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples 
and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. Paul said, okay, we've done our work here. We're going to move on. Isn't that interesting? Now, he moves on. Now, that's what happened there. Now, watch this up here. Demetrius was successful in stirring up the crowd. The crowd was stirred up against Christians and Jews because they made no distinctions between them. Now, you've got to start seeing this when you're looking at the seven churches. The town clerk told the people could not handle the problem in this manner, for it was not the way of Rome. Now, Revelation 2, 4, he goes on to say this, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because I was left our first love. Here, here this church had done all of these incredible things. This church is in Ephesus. Paul goes in there. They've done all these great things. But he said, you've done one thing. You've left your first love. Now, the reason that's important, because all of the power, the signs and wonders and everything's wrapped up in the first love. If you ever leave the first love, you have left the supernatural position of the believer. First love's not optional. Got to keep the first things first. First love's not. How are you going to go somewhere in your car if you don't first get in the car? How are we going to do something as a Christian to change this world and this nation and our city? Let's do the first things first. He said you got to return back to the first things that are first. That's what he said. But they've done all these right things. You can't think in your mind that this is weight and balances. It's not by works. It's not that you're doing any great thing for God. <laughs> it's seven. Do you figure that out? You're hoping God remembers nothing you've done when you step before him. That's my great hope. Does anybody have a witness? But here they had left their, they'd done all these great things, but they left their first love. Now, to me, we're on this quest of remembering our first love. That means we were infected in something the day we got born again that we've left, that we got to go back to. We've left something at the beginning. See, this is important. This is not just some flowery words. This is a key that unlocks a door. Unlocks a door into the heavens for the supernatural power of God. We're nothing but a club without it. And a poor one at that. That's all we are. We wonder why people can't keep coming to church. We're a poor club without it. We all dread it. I wish he would hush. I want to get out there and go to dinner. I've paid my dues. God forbid. He goes on to say this. You've left your first love. What is this loss of love all about? They had been very effective, but they forgot why they were effective. Now, I, it's easy for us to say, yeah, that was them, but this is us. I'm afraid as we get into more of the churches, you're going to see we got more of us than you think. They had started well, but now was not doing too well. I want you to understand something. The church at Ephesus was kind of a hub, apostolic hub. The Holy Spirit wanted to use the church of Ephesus as a model for all the churches. That's the first church. It was the model church. I've told you I'll get into it later. 
it was such a model church that after Paul left, when, when John left Patmos, John went to Ephesus. He lived out his days in Ephesus. He took his book of Revelation. He sat down in Ephesus. People come in from all the churches from all over, and John gave him copies of his Revelation. That's how it got scattered all over Asia because they were right on these main roads of these big cities. Now watch it. They had lost their communion with the Lord. God forbid this church, New Life, if you're watching online, our goal is to remember our first love and get back there as quick as we can. Don't worry about somebody else's first love. Dadgummit, you don't even know what it was like. We've got to get back to our first love as individuals. You'll have to admit, you probably saw more of the supernaturalness of God in the first 30 days that you was born again that you've seen since. It's because you had that key. You had that key that unlocks the spirit world. It's called the key of the first love. Now, let's watch it. He says, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the works, first works. He said, okay, repent. Do the first ones again, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. We know the stars are the angels. We know the, the candlesticks. He says, I'll remove that light. And so I just repent right now, dear God. If we've got a flicker of light, if we have no... Dear God, we repent as a church and call for this light not to be removed from this place. This is a problem. Can somebody say amen? So serious that he says, I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick. What it means is that the church would lose its ability to shine the light of truth. You've got to remember, the ability to shine the light of truth is more in, than words. It's in actions and deeds. It's more than words. That's what the philosophers did. They were always debating. But it never came any, to any actions of words. They just sat around and said, look how smart I am. I just beat you in a debate. Look at me. And we do that in the church. Whose theology is the greatest? I watched some stuff here lately, and I'm like, you're just like Ephesus of the non-believers. You're debating how much you know. Works and deeds include signs and wonders. That's our rub. A lot of things are signs and a lot of things are wonders. Nonetheless, it includes those as normal behavior. Now, a church with no influence or impact is what would happen. A church that was busy doing religious things, but with no light or power. He goes on to say this, but thou hast that thou hast that thou hate, but this thou hast that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now this verse kind of points to the church of Ephesus, hate the works of the Nicolaitans. We don't have too much record of the Nicolaitans, but anyway, it was referred to. And this is one thing that's a possibility Nicholas was one of the seven deacons in the church in Jerusalem. Acts 6-5, he fell away from the truth, founded the sect 
known as the Nicolaitans. The sect uh, believed no law at all governed their behavior, so they felt free to indulge in the indulterous feast of pagans and sensuality. I believe that's what we have going on today is we are entertaining this idea of the Nicolaitans. That's what's happening. It's what you're seeing happen before your very eyes. It's happening today. Here's the promise. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto these churches. To him that overcomes this, I will give to eat of the tree of life. Somebody say, Amen. Which is the midst of the paradise of God, Adam and Eve, we're excluded from this tree. Our Lord Himself is that tree of life. If we eat of Him, we will experience life. Feed upon the tree of life. He is saying, if you repent, you will get a greater revelation of who He is. And it's this greater revelation that we're going for around here. That's, that's where we're headed. But I want to go in just a little bit before I leave Ephesus on, this, on John going there. That's so interesting to me. That... That is the Basilica of St. John. It's outside of Ephesus, actually. you got Ephesus, but it is right outside of Ephesus. And the Christians, when John came back there and, and he died, he is buried right there in that center of them four posts. Post, you see it? But that was a church there, if you will, or a gathering of the Christians. When John died, that is his tomb. There it is today, which has been restored somewhat on the floor around there, as you can see, among the, this, the tomb of St. John. The Apostle Paul laid the foundation of the church, and the Apostle John came and gave them this revelation of the church. And it wouldn't have to be something if you were the church in Ephesus. You had Paul started you, and the cleanup crew was John. You started falling away from you. John ran back to Ephesus. I know your problem. I got a revelation. I was just in Patmos, watched it on the big screen. I know your problem. You left your first love. All indications they received. There were many believers in Ephesus that received John's message that they left their first love. And there's all kinds of stuff that I cannot go into there. The Christian tradition there said that John came there after he was released from Patmos and lived out his days there. Ephesus became an apostolic center as John would send out his revelation to the churches in Asia. And they scattered fast. This revelation, the book of Revelation, scattered fast uh, to all the churches and throughout Asia. Ephesus would be seen as a model church so therefore, it must repent, repent and return to its first love. So if New Life wants to be a model church, we got to repent, turn back to our first love, and do all this other stuff Ephesus was doing. They were doing a great thing, going out in the streets, leading a few of them this great uproar in the big theater. I'm just, my imagination goes wild. <laughs> what all we could do. Listen, I always like the little guy winning. Okay, I always like the guy that's a nobody to win. The guy that's a nobody carries a football over the finish line. The, the guy that's a nobody makes a three-pointer. That's the Christian church. We're a bunch of nobodies that God says we're somebody to take the message of God to the earth. Because he knows we don't want the limelight. We just want to carry the ball, carry the message. Let's stand.
Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. We ask and pray, O oh God, that we would be guilty of the church, the works of the church of Ephesus. We pray that we'd be guilty of repenting and that we would return to our first love. Let us unlock this door of one of the mysteries of the church and the kingdom of God that allows the power of God, the signs and wonders of God. Lord Jesus, we cannot exist without them. There's all kinds of signs and wonders, Lord. There's, in, there's salvation, there's understanding, there's revelation, there's helps. It's loving those that are unlovable. That's a sign and a wonder. It's being all things to people. It's finding the needs that people have and it's taking them the gospel that can fulfill and fix their needs. Signs and wonders, let us have them, Lord. Signs and wonders not to puff us up, God forbid, but signs and wonders that prove and show that we are members of a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that we are members, citizens, and most of all, children of a living God. Be with us, O God. And the people of God said, Amen and Amen.